And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Well, the last road trip didn't end well. We'll see if this next one can fare a little bit better for the Vancouver Canucks as they follow a 1-1 one one finish to their last two home games here at Rogers Arena with a crucial trip on the road beginning in Pittsburgh. And we have used the term crucial seemingly on every episode of the VanCast before we talk about what the Canucks uh, have to do. And here we are again, Drancer. Like, it's, it's November and we're talking about must-win stuff here. Yeah, I mean, is it? Is it like this, this Canucks team could win four of uh, four games on this road trip? It still won't matter. Like they still need to do. They still dug themselves a hole that's probably insurmountable over the course of the full season. Like they, yeah, they have. If, if they win four, we're at least all of a sudden starting to talk about it as a possibility if they can keep that run going. So, look, we'll get into these these games coming up. But let's start with what was gleaned from these last two home games. They take on Winnipeg. Uh, they find a way to win the game. Uh, they held on late. They didn't take any penalties, which allowed the power play to, or the penalty kill to operate at a perfect clip, a thousand percent as it were, or zero percent, depending if you're a glass half full or glass empty guy. And then they follow that up with a really good 40 minutes against Chicago. We're not talking moral victories. We're talking about reality because they did play well. I don't know what the bigger statement is, is how, how they dominated and hit a bunch of posts in the first two periods or the fact that they really, really took their foot off the gas and allowed a tired team, a tired team that's not a very good team to come back and really outplay them in the third period and get out of here with two points. And now you can't manage your losses either. So any good that was done against Winnipeg was really taken away with that performance in the third period against Chicago. Yeah. And Chicago was better in the third period. Like they controlled play. It wasn't just a game that Vancouver deserved, although they probably did deserve it. If not eight or nine times out of 10, as Travis Green said, like seven and a half times, seven times out of 10. I mean, they were the better team, but it doesn't matter if you take your foot off the gas like that in the third and allow the Blackhawks to carry play the way they did, 
you know, even before that goal and, and people were talking about the mistripping penalty on JT Miller, like for me, that was a borderline call. I didn't think that was a every time out that should have been called miss by the officials. I sort of saw that sequence as, you know, Canucks possession uh, goes the other way when Pullman misses the puck. The Chicago four check activates. They got two scoring chances, drew a face off, drew like a frozen puck and then scored. And, you know, that was kind of how that period went. Chicago was better than Vancouver in the final 20 minutes. They were a deserved winner, ultimately. Uh, you know, maybe a bit of a smash and grab, but not an outrageous one, especially with how that third period went. And just like another example of this Canucks team. Yeah, they deserve better that night. They hit a ton of posts. Uh, they should have won that game on form, but I mean, there's no margin for error at this point. You lose five or 10 games like that every year. I don't know that the Canucks have other than in Detroit, like Detroit and, and the Chicago game. So the Canucks have had a couple of those to this point, but like, that's not the reason this season has gone off the rails. It's not bad luck that the, has the Canucks where they're at. And so, you you know, you don't, you don't get the benefit of the doubt when you've played the way this team has over almost 20 games so far. Yeah, look, there's no doubt about it. These guys are the the authors of their own demise, and you can't just narrow it down to one or two moments that have them in this situation. Uh, there's just been far too many of them, right? And, and far too many of them that were controllable, and far too many of them were, they were clearly the second best team on the ice. And, and that's the problem that we find ourselves in right now. Um, you know, were there any positives necessarily to take away from what we saw in those two games, I think the play of Pod Colson continues to improve and continues to impress and puts them in a good position as far as prospects going forward on the heels of, you know, a guy like Hoglander. And, you know, we've seen consistently good performances from him and probably Connor Garland uh, as the only two. But besides that, are there any positive takeaways? Can you look at the penalty kill and say, OK, structurally in those three opportunities against Chicago, they've got it figured out? There are some things that I'm liking from how the Canucks five on five game is trending. I will say in particular, in particular, Farhan, I'm really liking the top six. I, honestly, I know Horvat hasn't been producing. I know we're sick of silver linings on Elias Pettersson, but I look at the expected goals margin over the last five games for Pettersson and I see a number close to 60. And I look at it for Horvat and I see a number north of 55%. And if they can sustain that and start to get some offensive bounces, because offensively, anyway, the club has been unfortunate to this point in the season, particularly at evens, you know, then this team might look somewhat the way we kind of thought it might if things had gone and broken right for them in terms of at least having an imposing top six and being fun to watch more nights than not. Um, obviously, we haven't seen that to this point in the season. It doesn't fix the fact that the special teams are a disaster, but I do see some things five on five particularly from Vancouver's top players, many of whom are getting criticized roundly in the market. Fair enough. You know, at this juncture in the season, like they need to grab this season by, you know, the, the, the long and the short of it, right. By, by the caller and like, you know, grasp things, make things happen, exert some will on the outcomes of games. But I am seeing some positive trend lines from the top six. Anyway, I'm curious to see, if that translates on this road trip, my guess, Farhan, honestly, is that this road trip will, particularly with a favorable schedule, perhaps break the Canucks way a bit um, and maybe at least calm things down. But, you know, I, I also think we need to 
not lose focus on the fact that, you know, they could come home with eight points in these next five games out of 10. And they're still kind of hosed. Like they're still kind of fucked. And, and I think we need to keep our focus there. Even if you won't join me in cursing about it on this podcast, (laughs) (laughs) I'm not, I'm not there yet. Hey, uh, okay. So, so let's talk about uh, the, the article that Kuz put out uh, this morning where he talked about uh, JT Miller and the fact that, um, the Minnesota Wild have called about J.T. Miller. It's not to say they're going to trade him tomorrow, but uh, it certainly seems like a well-placed story that would be designed to change the conversation and change the narrative a little bit, um, you know, around the team and potential changes that could happen. So J.T. Miller did not practice on Monday in Pittsburgh. Travis Green said afterwards that it's a maintenance day. Uh, other things he did mention that Luke Shen should be available to go into the lineup in place of Travis Hamannick uh, against Pittsburgh. But let's focus on Miller and that possibility. Uh, first of all, like I said, it certainly seems to be a well-placed leaked story uh, and good for Kuz for getting it. But w- what's the upside of this being out there right now? Hard to say. I, I mean, I can think of three reasons why a team would leak this. And, you know, it's breaking locally, so I don't think there's a ton of, of doubt that the Minnesota Wild didn't plant this, right? Um, there's, there's three possible explanations for why a team would consciously have this leak. And, and, of course, there's a fourth. And, by the way, I don't think we can write the fourth out of the equation, which is just basic ham-fistedness, right? Like, just basic klutziness. And I don't think we can say that that's not what happened here either, right? Like, I do think we have to... Note that especially with the way that this team has conducted its business, that's a very distinct possibility at this point, right, Farhan? Um, but the three logical reasons to get this out. The first would be to send a like to put a flag up to the rest of the league, like, hey, we're taking calls, we're taking calls, we're considering things. Um, the wild, the wild, oh boy, are they hot and heavy? They've offered a serious player, a young winger, 25, scored a lot of goals last year, right? Like it's a it's either a flag to the rest of the league. Get your get your bids in. We're open for business. Or, or Farhan, it is a gambit to detract attention away from the smoldering, you know, crater that is the Canucks season, right? To take attention off the fact that everyone in this market, including internally with the Canucks organization, is waiting to see where the shoe is going to drop at this point, right? Or, or, and here's a, here's the third possibility or the third possibility fourth, if you include the incompetence angle, the fourth possibility is it's a, you know, a, a shot across the bow of the locker room, right? Like, Hey, you guys, you know, you guys want to stick together. You guys want to stick together. You guys are having fun. You're having fun doing this. Well, you better start winning or we're going to make changes, right? Those are the four possible explanations. What what do you think? What do you think is the most likely one? Well, I think the last one is an interesting one because I think, you know, we've lamented on this show what message is being sent to the players by firing the coach, right? I mean, ultimately, you know, you're going to get a bunch of young guys who then get their way, you know, and I, and I had said, well, we don't, neither one of us believes Travis is the problem and, and doesn't want to see him get fired. Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't mind seeing a scenario where if he got fired, rather than bringing in a guy like Brad Hunt or just elevating a guy like Brad Hunt, that they say, no, no, no. We're going to bring in one of the most hard-ass names in all of hockey, whoever that may be, right? Insert any number of old-school grinders here, right? Just to send that message. Yeah, you got your way in terms of a change of voice, but we're going to kick your ass as a result of this, and there will be a price to be paid. Uh, But the flip side is, is in this particular situation, um, if you're trying to send a message that, look, we're happy to move on from some of you guys if that's what you actually want, 
I think a lot of them would be happy with that at this stage. We saw Nate Schmidt last year, who certainly wasn't a core piece that had been here long term, you know, really excited at the prospects of getting out of here. Braden Holtby, no different. They both ultimately got their wish and seemed to be happier for it. Um, you know, you, you don't think a guy like JT Miller at this stage, given his contractual situation and his level of frustration and his chafing at the scrutiny he gets in this market, you don't think he'd be happy with a move to Minnesota? You know, I'm always amused in, in Minnesota at how people talk about it being the state of hockey and just, you know, it's a Canadian type market and how, you know, intense it is there and how much covered they get there. Come on, outside of Mike Russo, who the hell covers this team? Still an American team. <laughs> Like, don't Sarah give me that McClellan. bullshit. The Vikings, matter, the Vikings matter more. The Timberwolves matter probably more, right? Like, don't give me that bullshit, right? So there'd be a state bunch of... State of hockey. State of hockey. I know I said that. It's not the state of hockey. So, <laughs> the state of hockey in Vancouver is very bad. Yeah. Very bad indeed. Well, so, uh, so with something all Something is rotten in the state of hockey. Has yeah, anyone so, ever used that? Surely they have, right? No, I don't know that they have. No, one, no one's of, done the, the Hamlet. Province of hockey does no not have the same. Range. No one's done the Hamlet reference in in regards to the Minnesota Wild. Um, so yeah, so either either way, like you know, the message to the players might be something they want to hear, which might you know, <laughs> which might shoot, which might shoot them in in the foot. And they just get something else wrong again. Uh, JT Miller not at practice on Tuesday. Maintenance cited by the head coach. Uh, yep. You know, the the idea is that it'll we'll see tomorrow. Um, but JT Miller is from Pittsburgh, right? He's, he's from Ohio near Pittsburgh, but he's a Pittsburgh guy. Like he makes his summer home here. Um, you know, not hard to imagine that he was out with friends or family when his phone started blowing up yesterday. Uh, and, and look, if you sort of want to list the guys who I don't think we're questioning in terms of their effort level this season, right? Like, isn't JT Miller pretty close to the top of that list up there no with question. Connor Garland and Oliver Ekman Larson and, uh, Demko. And, and I mean, it's a short list, but like he is on it, right? Like, Miller, to me, looks like the solution, not the problem. Um, you know, you can criticize the puck handling decisions, I suppose, or or advocate for him being at the net front rather than on the half wall on the power play. But, um, you know, can criticize I, his effort for sure. Yeah, it doesn't doesn't feel like doesn't feel like the guy to target here. Right. If, if that was the intention. Um, and we'll see. We'll see if he plays. We'll see what happens. There's no question that teams around the league are eyeing the Canucks situation with extreme interest because there are players on this roster that teams value a fair bit like that think they could help them win JT Miller among them Horvat among them um, and there's interesting contractual situations context in terms of their deals expiring following the 2022-23 season that you know may make for a gut-wrenching decision that the Canucks will have to make at some point whether it's this season or next but that's sort of brings us back to shining the spotlight on the apex of the organization in terms of what's next, which is like, I don't feel like after last week when there was a publicized meeting between ownership and management, right? And then management spoke and didn't give the coach a vote of confidence, didn't seem to really give himself a vote of confidence, uh, indicated that they were surprised by their struggles and suggested that they band together to look for answers, right? I mean, Jim Benning didn't look or sound like a general manager who's not embattled internally, right? Who has a ton of autonomy to continue to impose his vision on the club, right? And so now we're talking about the organization maybe making big deals, like big trades uh, with a management group that ownership hasn't really publicly backed since leaks about meeting with them to discuss the surprise that was this season's clusterfuck. 
Like what? How does that? How does that compute, Farhan? Like, doesn't that seem backwards entirely? Yeah, well, it certainly doesn't compute or, or make a lot of sense in terms of what they should be doing or what people want to hear. It serves none of the appropriate purposes or agendas. I do want to get into potential changes at any level of the organization and what makes the most sense. But first, let's take a quick break. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So Drancer, what change would be the most effective for this organization? And, and what would each of the potential changes signal to fans about the state of the organization. So, you know, we certainly know the obvious ones on the table because the easiest change to always make is the head coach. That's just the way it goes, rightly or wrongly, uh, from both a financial standpoint and just a logistical standpoint in terms of what any other change potentially means. If you make a move on the general manager, it does help a little bit financially in that you're eating less of a contract because he's only got this year left on his deal from an ownership perspective. But it could signal more long-term pain. And the one we haven't talked enough about until recently is the players. Because I think we do believe, or we don't believe, but certainly the organization has been professing that the players are here. You know, we went all in for a reason. So while we could make the argument that the players are not doing their job and the best players need to be better, there hasn't necessarily been the thought that we need to get rid of some of these players because the feeling has been, at least at the forward group, they're good enough to win with. They're good enough to score with. They're good enough to succeed with. And if we could just extract more out of them or let not have them play at another worldly level, but just play at the level we expect them to play at. So we haven't necessarily thought about or discussed at least about changing players in all of this as potential options. And now the JT Miller situation certainly reestablishes that as a reasonable possibility. So what change makes the most sense and what change creates the the right signal to to the fan base well i don't know like i i mean the organization has to figure out if this direction the direction that led them here the direction that assembled this roster is the one they want to continue to follow right that's what they have to decide and if the answer is no then you know the change has to be at the very top See, right? and, I, and it, I don't i don't think that's that's unlikely altogether and i say that because Think of the knee-jerk reaction that got us some of the contracts that we got, right? I mean, even in the case of a guy like Tanner Pearson, um, what did he ultimately do to earn the contract? He was basically given a complete mulligan for what happened last season and got a deal real quick. In the case of Thatcher Demko, while you and I both think it was the right bet to play, it was essentially a month of elite hockey that got him a five-by-five deal, right? And again, we think it was the right play, but on some levels, it seems ridiculous, doesn't it? 
that they made that investment and that decision based on such a small sample size along with the bubble, right? So, so, so when I look at it, I do believe that this sample size that we've got through the first 20 games of the season is enough for them to make that level of decision. Well, for sure it is. For sure it is. I mean, it's an eight-year sample size, Farhan. <laughs> like, no, no, but I, like, like I'm saying that the, the the amount of just hot garbage that's been served right now <laughs> could allow them to make a decision yeah. on a Bo Horvat, on a JT Miller, on a, you know, pick your guy, right? I sure, mean, obviously, but, they're not going to have the option I, to make a decision on all of Rickman Larson because of his contract, but there are some guys that don't have a ton of term left, you know, and, you know, sure. Horvat, Besser, and Miller among them. But don't you have to pieces. don't you have to make a decision above that level? Like you get down to the players later. Like as far as I'm concerned, the fundamental decision you have to make is yay nay, thumbs up, thumbs down on Jim Benning's vision that has led you here. And it doesn't seem like the organization has made that decision, or if they have, they certainly haven't actively pursued that decision into any type of action, right? Okay, so what so what does a general manager change? And look, I, I don't think either one of us is of the mind that that would be the wrong decision, okay? We're not sitting here thumping for Jim's job, but eight years is eight years, right? I mean, I, I asked him directly, is eight enough? And he conceded it is. And, you know, we both know the holes this roster came in with at the start of the season. And, you know, when you look at it in context versus, you know, how long a Mike Gillis got before he got gassed by this ownership group and what el- what happens elsewhere around the league, yeah, you could certainly make the case that that's the right move to make. But what does it signal, Right. Does it signal to the players that, okay, uh, the trust issues you had last year that have affected the locker room, that, okay, we're looking to seriously turn those over, even if their anger is directed at ownership or if it's directed at Jim, uh, you know, from a player perspective, you know, it does have a signal to them. But, this, you know, it would certainly placate and satisfy a large percentage of the fan base who, as we hear when we hear fire bending post-game or latent games in the crowd – while not as loud as it's been for Mike Gillis, uh, you know, look, a lot of fans would be happy. But on both sides of that, you also wind up getting, like, a it's a short-term versus long-term answer. So do players want a long-term answer or do players want a short-term answer? I think if players were smart, they'd want a long-term answer. But I think players are immature and they want fixes now, right? So do you, when, if you're a player and you all of a sudden make a general manager change, do you think as a player, yeah, they're going to go around and make a bunch of changes quickly now and, and we're going to be in a better place? Or do you, you think as a player, well, if we make a general manager change, it means now an extended rebuild and do I want to be a part of that, right? So, the, you know, there are layers of that in terms of short-term and long-term and how that type of change gets received by everybody that's important. I think the fans would be thrilled. Even, even fans that think that Travis is the problem wouldn't be upset with a change at the general manager spot. Well, yeah, I mean... The, the thing is, the thing is, is the organization needs to make that decision. And and regardless of whether the decision is made or not, like they need to make it clear to the league too. like, why do you think teams are calling right now? Right. It's because they don't have a read on what's next for this organization. Why do you think there's internal turmoil right now? It's because players, coaches, management don't have a read on what the direction of the organization is right now. Right. And And you need to clarify that. Like you need to clarify that. And you can't be waiting on the outcome of this road trip to make that apparent. Like what does five games against a bunch of bottom feeding teams tell you about this group one way or the other? It, it shouldn't matter. It shouldn't matter. The decision is larger than that. And so if the organization decides, yes, they're still on board with the, the vision that has led them here far on, in my view, then 
what follows from that is you can consider trades and you can consider a coaching change that brings in a big name coach because you're on board with this vision still and things have just gone awry and you need to figure it out, right? If you decide no, then the changes need to happen at the apex of the organization, either at the president level or at the general manager level. And then you chart a course forward. And, and what I think is the most likely route here, Farhan, is actually a middle way in which the organization sort of puts their hands up and plays this passively and says, you know, we probably aren't really on board with this, or, uh, with this vision, but we don't want to make dramatic changes now and, you know, stomach the costs that that would entail. And, you know, that middle way is like, oh, wait for the road trip. Maybe they turn it around. And if they don't turn it around, then buy green and in Bradshaw and, you know, just a PR move. And it's got no chance of actually salvaging this season. And, you know, all it does is the appearance of doing something without actually materially making any changes. And then you kind of limp through the season and evaluate in the offseason and, you know, more of the same. Like, that's more of the same for me. So we've talked about potential coaching replacement situations, be it internal with Brad Shaw or some of the names that are out there, right? Um, you know, there's been some teams like the Chicago Blackhawks who, you know, made a change with Jeremy Colleton and wound up getting a short-term bump, which is standard operating procedure, right? What this organization will not make a change at the general manager spot unless they've got a solution ready to go. They won't. Right? They're not going to peter along until the end of the season. And, and that's, that's my thing, right? Because they always want to flip the narrative forward. Right? The ownership group doesn't want to talk about Jim's failings because they have to wear that. They want to talk about the new vision of the replacement. So are there viable options to, if you replace Jim, if you make that decision mid-season that you can turn to now, that you can decide to keep going forward? Who's out there? Because ultimately, for that type of move, sometimes you might need to wait until the offseason to increase your talent pool, no? Sure. I mean, you know, I just think you can't, if, if this is a situation where management does not have the autonomy to fundamentally shape this roster and, the next, and decide on the next coach, then, like, why are you going out and spending the $14 million it's going to take to bring in that bench boss, right? Like, why do you need... You don't need to have a bird in hand to make the changes you need to make. Like interim situations are not uncommon in the NHL. You've no, got but an interim GM means he potentially could make trades or a decision on a coach that might not fit in long term if if that's an interim position. Yeah, but well, I mean, like the, you've got a coach for two years. Like you you don't need to make that decision in season either, unless you're really convinced that one of these guys is the guy forever for this core group, right? Back to my, back to my question. Are there legitimate general manager candidates out there now? Well, I think teams would let assistant general managers interview in season. You're far enough out from the trade deadline in the draft that it's like, if you're going to do it, the time is kind of now. And you've got until the end of March before the deadline, like you could make a hire at the end of January and the guy would still have two months before the deadline. Like that's, a f that's a fine timeline. You have time to make those changes if that's what the organization decides they want to do. But if they don't decide, if they decide the opposite, they, they need to make that clear too. There needs to be the Twitter thread vote of confidence. There needs to be some clarity given both to this market and to the rest of the league and to this organization. Like it's unfair to Jim as well that it feels like this organization lives in this sort of limbo zone right now. Yeah, no, it, it is. And it's a tough place to be, right? Because it's, it's just so hard. And, you know, you wind up having to, if you're ownership, you wind up having to get a consultant and kind of 
run the risk that things leak out there about the fact that you're looking to potentially see what options are available, right? I mean, it's it's hard to do it quietly uh, with, a, with a move that big, you know, and go talk to assistant GMs that are out there and, and available, right? So that's why I think that decision is going to be the least likely. Now, look, again, if you gave me all the options, it's probably the smartest decision or the most appropriate decision, but I don't believe that it's the most likely simply for that reason. Ownership, not wanting to wear it and going through the process in season because, you know, the, the coaching changes are so much more logistically easy. But with the, the prospect of change, you know, we've always assumed that Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes are untouchable. Are they still untouchable? I mean, for me, they are. For me, I get why the question's being asked, but for me, they absolutely are. I mean, they're 23 and 22. Like, they need to be surrounded by better pieces, in my view, but they're still very much part of the solution. You don't get better by losing really good young players. You get better by developing really good young players. Like, it's on this organization to create the environment where they reach their potential. That is the challenge at hand. Um, you know, I've seen guys. Up close, I, I think about Florida. I think about the difference between Barkov at 23 and the way that he asserts himself and, and you know, wills victories at the NHL level now. Uh, the way that him, Ekblad, and Huberto learned to win together in this league, right? And, and did it despite organizational instability, to be totally honest with you. Like, to the point where it doesn't feel like what who's coaching them even matters. Like, they kind of run that room now. Um, it, it can happen. And it can happen whether you are intentional about it or not, but but you're better off being intentional about it. And and I just think this team needs more talent like Pedersen and Hughes, not 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 to move on from them. That's my view of it anyway. Like for me, they are absolutely untouchable. They are crucial pieces for the next decade of Vancouver Canucks history. And, you know, Pedersen's obviously been off to a bad start this year. He's had some injury concerns uh, over the course of the past calendar year. But make no mistake, like this guy has unrealized yet, but still, in my view, franchise player potential. Um, you know, we haven't seen the competitiveness consistently from him, certainly not consistently enough. But I still believe in both these players. I think the organization has to as well. I think the league does. Like, make no mistake, right? 31 NHL teams would kill for the chance to buy low on Elias Pettersson. Like, would be very, very excited to have a chance to bid on that. Um, I don't think the Canucks should give them that opportunity. I still think the Canucks should have gone long on him, even with how he struggled in the first 20 games of this year. So, no, for me, absolutely. Those two are untouchable. And probably the goalie, too, from a Canucks perspective, anyway. Um, you know, probably Demko as well. Those are sort of three absolute core pieces that I just don't think you move on from. Uh, throw in the ELC guys and Hoaglander and Pod Colson. And honestly, I think Bo, too. Like, I know that this team feels like it needs a culture shakeup or whatever, but there is value to having good players that are good people. No matter what stage of your team building cycle you're at, whether you're rebuilding, whether you're uh, trying to win, whatever you're doing, having a, a gentleman and a player of Bo Horvat's quality in your, in your lineup, on your roster, matters. Like There's value there. Uh, that's just sort of my view of it, as, as much as people want to burn everything to the studs in Van in the Vancouver market right now. Yeah, you know, I tend to agree. And look, I've been critical as, as any of Patterson's play to this date and just what I've seen and, you know, other things that I think may be impacting that. But I also believe it's early. And I also believe there's too much of a ceiling. And I, I just find it hard to stomach that what we saw in those first two years was a complete mirage. 
and completely irrecoverable, right? I mean, I, I think that he can get to that. I think it's going to take some time. I, I, I don't know what it's going to take to make him really click in, right? That there are some failings, um, you know, and that he's responsible and that he needs to do a little more in, in, in certain areas. And I think he acknowledges that he's not necessarily playing well, but I think it's crazy early to be walking away from either of those two players. And I don't think they're going in that direction. But again, given the state of the franchise right now, I just think you've got to put all things on the table and, um, you know, and consider and reevaluate whether or not they are untouchables. But I'm with you. I think they have to be. Two players that I, I, you mentioned you like the top six trends. But let's talk about th- those two players in particular in Horvat and Pedersen and what you like about their games specifically that lead you to believe things are about to turn. I saw Harm in the armies and he talked about the fact that he thinks Pedersen's play away from the puck has been significantly better, that he seems a little bit stronger on his skates and that, you know, that he's not as easy to necessarily bounce off it, but that maybe with the puck, there are still some moments where he's showing a lack of confidence. What do you see in the trend lines that make you think it's going in the right direction? Two things in particular, his control of expected goals is spiking in a major way. And that backs up the observation that he's been better away from the puck. I still agree. With, I like I agree with Harmon. I think his anticipation away from the puck and, and of the game generally is there. I still see moments where he can't control offensively, like c- control the puck the way he used to. Um, I still see moments where he's not as disciplined about just going to the net, just going to the greasy areas of the ice as, as he is when he's on his game, on top of his game. But, um, you know, the expected goals differential when Pedersen's on the ice is spiking in a major way. To me, that's a very positive sign. And the other part of it that I, I'm enthusiastic about, that I that I do like, is seeing that Pedersen's shot attempt rate is spiking. He's shooting a lot more than he was earlier in the season. I, I do wonder how much of that is just comfort level following the wrist injury that he battled through toward the tail end of last season and through this offseason. Uh, but the fact that he's a more willing shot attempter at the moment uh, at five on five to me means that the goals are are coming like that's his game is coming. Um, it's the first time this year that I've really felt that way. You know, I've said so how many times on this podcast have I been like, we have to stop looking for the <laughs> positives like, you know, do it, get it done. Oh, and, come and on. That is, there's been a number of times where you've seen the right trends in Pedersen's game and it hasn't no, manifested. Come no, on. I, there's times that I've been confident because of what he's shown us over 185 games going into the season, but I don't know that I've at any point said, look, this now looks to me like it's coming and it, and it does now look to me like it's coming. Okay. Um, We'll see. We'll see. We'll see on this. We'll see on this road trip, but I'll I'll mark it down and I'll own it if I'm wrong. I know no one in this market believes I ever do that, but I will. How about Horvat? Same thing. Huge control of the game. I love that Hoaglander Pearson Horvat line. Just leave that be, let them go to work. Uh, you know, I, I, I see a lot to like there. I, I know Hoaglander is getting the lion's share of the offense, but I do think that Horvat and Pearson have been part of that. I think Pearson's playing really well, even though the offense isn't there for him. Um, I think that line is clicking. I think it's been clicking for a while, like a month now. And it's just a matter of time. I just want to see them get more run together. I don't want to see Horvat play a ton of minutes with Pod Colson and Garland, for example. Like, I just want to see that line get some time together. Um you know, as a solid group that doesn't change because I think that's a, a pretty essential component to getting Horvat activated. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream direct TV satellite free. You see, 
this. A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Last thing, because I do want to talk about the Botchford Project, but before we get there, um, and, and Botch would have probably dove into this topic hard, how close are we to no shot at the playoffs? You know, Harm was chuckling about this as well, that, you know, there was a time when the organization talked about playing meaningful games in March. You know, that was first coined by Trevor when he was here, Trevor Lynn and his president, but even Jim has talked about that at varying stages of their, of their life cycle. The last three years, we haven't necessarily... Last year, we were forced to talk about that. The previous year, they got those meaningful games in the bubble and, you know, are leading into the bubble and then eventually in the bubble. Um, like, I can't imagine we're still at that territory right now that we would probably be thrilled right now if there were meaningful games in March. Yeah, I mean, Dom Lecision has them at a 5% chance of making the playoffs. So a 1 in 20 shot already. Um, yeah, I mean, they have to they have to do pretty well. Like they have to go on a pretty significant run at this point to make the playoffs. You know, the um, the playoff bar, as it were, is, you know, likely to be pretty high, even in the Pacific. I mean, Dom's currently projecting the Oilers to be a hundred point team, the Flames to be a hundred point team, Vegas to be a ninety nine point team. And then, you know, the Ducks, the Predators, the Stars the Jets all in the low 90s. Like, so, you know, the Canucks are going to need to get up to 93, 94 points to make the playoffs. And the pace that they're going to need to maintain to do that is 100 plus. So um, they need to get going. They need to get going. And, and you know, I think after this road trip, like you win three or four, I think you need seven or eight points from this road trip before we, but to even give yourself a shot at a shot. And then you've got that heavily, home tilted schedule in December and you need to capitalize off that because January is brutal. Their January schedule, like they play both the Florida teams four times in the matter of two weeks, like yikes, right? We've seen how this team matches up against the best in the league. It hasn't been pretty. And so they need to give themselves a, a, a fair cushion and they need to beat the California teams, right? That's key here. Um, so, you know, to even give themselves a shot at a shot, I think seven of eight points on this road trip is, is, is essential. And if they don't manage that, I do think it's time to start looking at what you can mine asset-wise for future value out of this roster and how you go about making sure that another lost season doesn't materially damage your credibility as an organization within that locker room. Can't believe we're at that point in November, but you're not wrong. You're not wrong as we get into the trade deadline and we'll know in the next, you'd have to think we'd know in the next week or so if there are going to be material changes uh, non-roster changes, and then see where we go from there in terms of direction. The Canucks are keeping the direction of the Bo uh, Botchford project for the third year. They are going to support this, and a uh, tremendous tribute to a good friend of both of ours and Jason Botchford, who tragically passed three years ago. And just, you know, the importance of this. When we look at media right now, it is so different. And, and it's why I kind of sometimes laugh at the notion of just how intense and difficult of a media market Vancouver is because the face of the media has radically changed. And the amount of cameras and the amount of coverage from traditional media platforms just isn't there, right? That's just a sign of the industry, not a reflection of the Canucks, 
right? But, you know, there was a time when between the Sun and the province, they had six people covering the team. Now the two papers are together and there's like one or two covering the team. And, you know, there's digital outlets and it's changed so much. But, you know, very quickly we are seeing people that were introduced to this industry and given an opportunity, especially a lot of the Canuck Army guys and others that were given that opportunity because of the Botchford Project. How important is it in terms of shaping the coverage of this team and the industry in this city going forward. Well, yeah. And, you know, I mean, I'm sort of a product of the new way, right? I mean, I just started writing. <laughs> like, I just started writing and, and had to carve my own path. I haven't paid my dues at an outlet, you know, working on a desk and then moving on to a beat and I, nothing like that, right? Like, it, it's about seizing new media opportunities. It's about being confident and putting yourself out there. It's self-publishing. It's, you know, podcasting. It's um, self-promotion, but also being conscientious of the fact that, you know, you're representing a community of fans in in everything you do. Uh, it's engaging with that fan base, too. It's engaging with the community that you serve. Um, it's a totally different world for young media professionals. And, and that's why I'm so excited that The Athletic is sponsoring and that the Canucks are again putting on for the third consecutive season, the Botchford Project. So we're doing it a little bit differently this year. We we had so like we thought we had a really good um, sauce going, like a secret sauce going in that first year. And then in the second year, because of COVID restrictions, we did it all on one day and had three uh, Botchford Project fellows, uh, Arash, Clarissa and Lachlan, all do it on the same day. And they had a great time together. And we realized like how many times, I mean, Farhan, how, how much is our relationship based on like you, me, botch, J-Pat standing around the Norm Jewish and media room, just like making fun of your hatred for Alex Edler, right? Like how much <laughs> of our, how much of our relationship so is so overrated, but yeah, <laughs> how much, you know, like that's, that's, and, and we sort of had this recognition that that community aspect that like having fun at the rink, that building relationships was actually kind of a part of the Botchford project that maybe no, not that we'd overlooked, but that in our best with our best intentions to giving a really unique experience to one person, we, we sort of realized that actually going through the experience with uh, your fellows uh, as a collective was, was maybe an even better one. And so we're going to do two nights, three, uh, three uh, fellows each, not each evening this season. Again, it's a project sponsored by the athletics. So these writers will talk to me beforehand. We'll storyboard. We'll figure out what to do. They'll get a one-on-one interview with a player to put together their feature piece. Uh, the Canucks will accommodate that access. They'll come to a morning skate. They'll come to the game in the press box. They get a free meal. We all eat and hang out and, you know, talk advice. I don't get a free meal. Talk about, no, you don't. The, the, the fellows do. Um, and then we'll, and then we'll, you know, work with them on the back end. The Canucks do anyway to, to put together a really good piece that will run on Canucks dot com and then the athletic they will in fact get paid for that work so you're there to do a job and uh, that's an important part and that's specifically what the athletic sponsors so you know a really exciting program a really progressive one good on the Canucks for continuing to do this for for holding that flame high and 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 committing to it for a third consecutive season I'm really proud that our outlet at the athletic sponsors it sees the value and importance of of making sure this program exists uh, there's really nothing like it in hockey, and and it's a fabulous tool. Like when you think about Quadrelli and Faber uh, coming through it, and Danielle from the broadcast, and you know uh, Lachlan and Arash and Clarissa, and and everything that those folks have accomplished since doing it. Like I'm really proud 
to have gotten to know some of these young people and maintained relationships with them. Um, and I, I'm, I've been excited to see some of the work that's been done as part of the program. It's been a lot of fun. Um, so I'm really excited. I, and I really encourage everyone who's listening. If you're a young writer, if you're a young aspiring journalist, please, please go to Canucks.com, search out the Botchford Project release, find the application, submit your application, come be a part of this. We, you know, the recipients are actually selected directly by Cat Botchford. So the family is directly involved. And we will make sure you have a once in a lifetime educational uh, and professional experience. Um, you know, it's a really cool way to get an understanding of how the sausage gets made. And in an era where upcoming media professionals are so often left to their own devices to figure it out, um, you know, this is a mentorship opportunity to not miss. So please apply. Uh, we're so excited that it's going on again. We're so proud to sponsor it at The Athletic. And, uh, and yeah, I'm just absolutely thrilled to see it announced today. Well, and when you look at people that have come through and you name so many of them, but, you know, led by guys like Quadrelli and Faber and guys that are just so good at what they do at such an early age and early stage of, of their career, they're, they've been killing it. They're going to wind up owning our industry, uh, absolutely this market. And, um, you know, it'll be for us, we'll just be able to really be able to say we knew them when, and just kind of be proud of the fact that uh, we were around and create, help create an environment where they could grow and and be nurtured and you know for a guy like me that has spent a lifetime coaching um you know there's so many in our industry that are old school and they, they don't like all this stuff and how the things are cha how the things are changing in the industry i love it i mean you know for me just learning it but just seeing these guys come in and just making sure that they don't feel intimidated and that they're in a position to uh you know to be confident and step out and make mistakes and all of it is is awesome well, and, and great for the canucks to be involved in all of it and such an important tribute to Jason, right? For whom this was natural, right? Like yeah. Jason's mentorship of me and, you know, Ryan Beach and, you know, on and on down the line, like Justin Morissette, um, you know, J.D. Burke, uh, Patrick Johnston. I mean, go down the list of, oh, Wyatt Arndt. How did I forget hey, Wyatt hey, Arndt? Flip try, try being the guy that had to mentor botch in television. <laughs> oh boy oh yeah uh, yeah <laughs> I, that was an interesting I, I experience i remember the early hits oh, oh that was an experience <laughs> hey. but uh, but but i'm just saying this for botch this came so naturally it's the perfect way for us to pay tribute to his legacy and that's why it's so important to us it's why it's so important to the canucks um so please get your applications in come be part of it we really want to pay the gift like i want to pay the gift that botch gave me as an aspiring young writer uh, forward to the next generation. This program enables that. Um, we really want you to be a part of it. So please, if you're a young listener, apply. Um, apply for the program. We'd love to have you. And with that, we do want to remind all of you that uh, a couple of other pods that you might want to check out, Ian Mendez and Haley Salvian have the Monday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show with a recap of a busy weekend in the NHL right here on the Athletic Podcast Network. Also, we've got Sean Gentili and guest co-host Max Boltman. They've got the Athletic Hockey Show USA Tuesday at the Athletic. Also, Rob Pizzo from CBC Sports along with Jesse Granger and Sarah Sivian have the Athletic Hockey Show on Wednesday at the Athletic. And as for us, thanks for listening to the VanCast. Please follow us on your favorite podcast platform. Don't forget to leave a rating and a review. You can also subscribe to the Athletic Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts to get all the bonus content from our entire network. Start with a 30-day free trial, then just 99 cents a month after that. And also now through midnight on the 29th, you can get the Athletic's best deal of the year. It's $1 a month for 12 months when you visit theathletic.com slash VanCast. So go ahead and get all the sports coverage that you know you deserve because you won't get it 
any better than this. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back later in the week midway through this epic road trip.